Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. It's a really interesting time right now in NBA free agency because there are two giant names who are technically available, having opted out of their deals, as expected last night, in the injured Kawhi Leonard and the aging Chris Paul, each of whom come with significant risks and each of whom I think are, are, are worth the trouble. You've also got the possibility that Bradley Beal is going to move. We'll see. Damian Lillard could move. We'll see. I think Ben Simmons is going to be traded. Just Daryl Morey, who runs basketball operations for that organization, is going to take his time. And I've heard a lot of people lament what they view as the obnoxiousness of what is required to pry Simmons away. Well, there's two things that have to happen. One, free agency has to play itself out so the landscape makes sense, not just to the sellers in Philly's case, but those buyers who then might be desperate enough to try and make a move. And two, if I'm Daryl Morey, I'm asking for the world. It only takes one. All right, let's go through some of these names, where they might go, some of the best spots. And and some of the news, I've been working the phones as best I can. Double is an NBA insider and analyst over at CBS Sports HQ. And speaking of which, and I know this is true for many of you on my Twitter account, SportsRider, Sports, R-E-I-T-E-R. If you can't get enough of me, if you're like, man, that was an amazing show with Ryder. I need to watch him on CBS Sports HQ all day. Is there ever a day where they just make him work every minute of the day? This is the day today. Pretty sure I'm pretty sure I'm on at 4 Eastern, 5 Eastern, 7 Eastern, 9 Eastern tonight, and I'll be on at midnight my time, so 3 in the morning Eastern time, after the UN's, U.S. men's national team plays Spain. And, and a, lot, a lot of what will hit is, is Kawhi Leonard, where he might go, Chris Paul, where he might go, DeMar DeRozan's interesting, Kyle Lowry. Let, let's start with Kawhi. Kawhi's opted out of his deal. Somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think, $39 million. He's got four years and $176 million in front of him. There are some injury issues. We'll dive into those a little more specifically in in 15 or 20 minutes. But Kawhi's a guy you have to take a chance on. Doesn't matter if he's going to play in October or December or it gets pushed back to, to January. The expectation around the NBA for most of the year was that Kawhi Leonard would opt out, which he did last night, and would re-sign with the Clippers. Now, there were reports from Chris Haynes, who's an excellent reporter for Yahoo and knows what he's talking about, that Kawhi Leonard at least is going to listen to pitches from other places. And here's the reality. Anyone who tells you that they know what Kawhi Leonard is thinking, anyone who tells you that they have a real sense of what Kawhi Leonard is going to do is is a liar or or delusional. I'll tell you a story. When Kawhi Leonard got injured during that playoff run, before we knew he had hurt his ACL, and we still don't know the extent of the injury. If you listen to the things that have come out through Kawhi's often hard-to-penetrate camp, you know, it's an injury, it's not great, but we're going to get through it. If you listen to the Clippers and some of their statements, and well, they've been telling people it's very serious, it's a big deal, we're here for Kawhi. But what I'm told from sources is that when he got injured in that postseason, that night, and there was a question. If you remember, he tacked the rim and then kind of limped off to the right side and just he looked wrong. We didn't know what the problem was. My understanding is the Clippers didn't even know the extent to which Kawhi was feeling he would or wouldn't be hurt until the next day because he was hard to talk to and get a hold of and not a great communicator. And as if you need some, some symbolism, some physical representation of how difficult it is to know what in the hell is going on in Kawhi's brain, for the entirety of the postseason in which the Clippers still played competitive basketball, credit to Paul George, who I've criticized. Not even criticized, I've just pointed out his track record in the past. Kawhi sat up in a luxury box far away from his team. 
for for me, if I'm if I'm Kawhi, if Kawhi asked my advice, if the big guy and I are out doing a little deep sea fishing, which apparently is his thing, I'm staying with the Los Angeles Clippers. That's the place Kawhi Leonard should be. He's from LA, and even if he's a little frustrated, there's reports that he that he was with the medical staff. They're going to bend over backwards to give him what he wants. And the reality is, if an organization commits $176, $177 million to you, you own, in the modern NBA, that organization. Because you don't have to stay. Ask Neil O'Shea up in Portland. Ask the organization over in the nation's capital. If a superstar, whether he has two years or one year or five years left on his deal, wants to go, he forces his way out. Kawhi Leonard has a contender. That Clippers organization had the opportunity to test, and really I think not just test, but but improve Paul George in the postseason. PG was great. That guy carried a team with massive expectations, minus the guy in Kawhi Leonard that makes him worth every single dollar any team would pay him. The guy's a two-time Finals MVP at two different places. Only one person has ever been a Finals MVP for three different shops. That's LeBron James. He's probably the best player in the history of the game. The place for Kawhi is the Clippers. Now, and I'm going to mention all these places as we talk about Chris Paul and DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. If I'm Kawhi and I want to leave, if I'm listening to pitches, Miami's an interesting spot, an interesting location. The problem becomes it sounds like Kyle Lowry is going to link up with the Miami Heat. And not only does it make sense, sounds like a, a sign and trade with Goran Dragic. The other reality of Miami, and I think it's very similar to the Suns with Chris Paul, Jimmy Butler has not been a great teammate, a successful teammate at all of the stops that he's had until Miami. Unique personality. Unique guy. Not sure that he's likable. I'm sure that it doesn't matter because he's found in Miami the, the perfect instrument for his very bizarre and very unusual personality. Butler and Lowry are friends. Butler wants Kyle Lowry part of that organization. We've already seen that Jimmy Butler is literally good enough to get you to an NBA Finals. Last year, not even a year ago, 2020 NBA Finals, Miami Heat make that run in the bubble. There's a lot of reasons. Some of the young guys stepped up and, and faded this season. It was a bubble, and so culture, veteran leadership, toughness, the ability to handle those things, the Miami Heat culture, perfect for that, was going to have more impact and more value in Orlando. But it's also true that Jimmy Butler was happy with his teammates, and talking to sources around the NBA so far this year, I can't give you the exact terminology because it's family uh, family-friendly show here on, on the Jim Rome Show, CBS Sports Radio, CBS Sports Network. Jimmy Butler was over many of his teammates, as I understand it. Many of those young guys who stepped up and played well last year, Butler felt like in their regression were people that, I'm going to say it again in very different terms than it was expressed to me, how he expressed it. He was no longer interested in their services. And that has its own impact, because we've seen this before. We've seen when Jimmy Butler is not a believer in his teammates' willingness to do whatever it takes to win, it doesn't go well. And I think we saw last year that that's a everybody else's problem, not a Jimmy Butler problem. You, you pair him with the right guys, good things happen. He wants Kyle Lowry. You know Lowry's a star. He's a little bit older at his position, but he's a guy that can hit shots. That makes sense to me. And it'll probably be that sign and trade. The other team you might you might look at if you're Kawhi is the New York Knicks. And actually, on, on the face of it, the Knicks make a ton of sense. And I've been told that Leon Rose, who runs basketball operations, and to his credit, very quickly, 
able to get that Knicks organization to relevance and competence, if not competitiveness in the postseason. Four seed lost to Atlanta in the first round. Great defensive team. And talked a lot about this on the show that I host here in the morning on CBS Sports Radio, Rider Than You. The whole time the Knicks, because there, there's, there's an echo chamber that, that takes place when things happen in New York City or Boston in that Northeast corridor. Because there's such a focal point of media there, because all of us, and not this show, it's one of the rare exceptions, but because a lot of the, the sports talk media that, that dominates, and television, that dominates the narratives comes out of that area, it's also influenced by the fans of that area and the culture of that area. Good things happen in New York City, and if they're exaggerated in the hearts and the minds of people in New York, they get exaggerated nationally. And that happened with the Knicks. Good team. Competent team. One of the best defensive teams in the NBA. We're mediocre offensively. That doesn't usually translate to postseason success. And as good as Julius Randle was, what most I believe most improved player, I know I voted for him for, for that award, I think he won it, didn't have a guy that could really create offense, shot creator, offense creator. That's what the Knicks need. And Kawhi would be perfect. He can get his own buckets. He can take over a game. He can close games. He's a great defensive player. The problem becomes... Kawhi Leonard is known not to love big cities, not to love a ton of attention. He's kind of a shy guy. He, he's an introvert. Feels like New York City wouldn't make the most sense. The, the place that if I'm Kawhi, or, or frankly DeMar DeRozan, where he may go, or Lowry, who sounds like it's Miami, uh, the spot that I think makes the most sense if you want to be part of a breakthrough team, a real chance at a championship, but to be credited properly with being a huge part of that is the Dallas Mavericks. They have Luka Doncic. He's a superstar. For anyone that missed that story, you should watch the Olympics where his team continues to win games that it should not because of his individual excellence. But they're kind of a disaster outside of that. Sounds like Lowry's going to go to Miami. That means they're going to have to probably pay Tim Hardaway Jr. in the neighborhood of, who was excellent, by the way, this past year, 16 17 18 $19 million a year. But even getting the band back together in Dallas is not going to be enough. It's not. If I'm Kawhi Leonard, and I think it'll be DeMar DeRozan if, if Kawhi Leonard stays with the Clippers, if I'm Kawhi Leonard, I know that there's a bunch of fishing in Texas, which is actually important to the guy. You're going to be given a little bit of space, and Kawhi plus Doncic, in a different kind of way, is the equivalent, I think, of Chris Paul plus that young core last year. It, winning a championship, is if you don't have LeBron, is alchemy. If you have LeBron, it's, the, the ingredients are pretty simple. The recipe is get LeBron, and you're automatically a contender. But outside of that, you need the right pieces. And we also learned that with Kawhi Leonard last year. If Kawhi believes the Clippers are the team, and I think they might be because of what Paul George went through, you go back. But if he's going to take meetings, he's not certain. If he's going to take meetings, he's open to other possibilities. The Miami Heat would be a contender with Kawhi Leonard, certainly, but he would have to get along with Jimmy Butler, and that is not a guarantee. Jimmy Butler doesn't get along with everybody. Kawhi Leonard doesn't get along with everybody. Oil and water doesn't work in most situations. It certainly doesn't work where one of the oils here are Kawhi Leonard and the water Jimmy Butler. Those guys do not operate well in environments where they're not happy. They don't. It doesn't fit. Dallas makes a ton of sense. Now, I've been told by some sources that the Lakers are, are cautiously optimistic that DeMar DeRozan, who's probably, what, the third or fourth most promising player in free agency, and I'm not a big DeRozan guy. He is a he is a great offensive player. Chris Paul showed us that that, that short mid-range game can be effective, but DeRozan's not a great three-point shooter. He, he's not the guy that I would want. 
But I've been told by, by folks around the league that the Lakers are optimistic might be able to talk DeMar DeRozan into taking less money to go home. Remember, DeRozan from Compton, from L.A., went to USC. The problem becomes you be, you're talking about going from $27 million last year for DeRozan to whatever, I think it's 4.7, 4.8, that they could actually pay the guy. And this is the same Lakers organization that in the past believed that LeBron was going to come the first time. In fact, I was going to list all the free agents that the Lakers thought they were going to get over the last 10 years. Take any free agent that anybody wanted that was a superstar that didn't go to L.A., that's who L.A. was convinced they were going to get. So to me, it feels like this. It feels like Chris Paul re-signs with the Suns, and we'll see what he does. I think he'll, I think he'll go back. I, I think like Jimmy Butler, he realized he's in a place that gives him the best chance to be happy, to be a leader, and have a chance. I think DeMar DeRozan ends up in Dallas. Lowry's going to Miami. And it feels like Kawhi goes to the Clippers, but everything could change. And we'll see. It's going to be really, really interesting. And I, and I want to get a little more into Kawhi Leonard's injury situation. Because the desperation, the talent puddle that's out there rather than the talent pool, means that you've got to take all kinds of risks. You have to overpay people. The Bulls may pay Lonzo Ball $20 million a year. John Collins, who's also a restricted free agent for Atlanta, is probably going to get in the neighborhood of $110 or $120 million. Both those guys have upside. Both those guys have risks. You have to overpay to have a chance. And that means you've got to give Kawhi four years and $177 million and not really know, not really, where he's at with his ACL. And in his case, how long he's going to take to get back. This is a metaphor for your business's journey. Sometimes it feels like the world is throwing everything it has at you, and to succeed, you need someone to guide you through. That's what Dell Technologies advisors do. They have the tech advice to help you navigate whatever challenges you're up against and get you safely to where you want to be. <sighs> Call an advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL and do more with modern devices and Windows 10 Pro. The Colts made all the good moves. They did. You can go player for player, and you could make an argument that the Colts have the best roster in the National Football League. They certainly have a top-five roster. They are loaded across the board. What they've been missing since Andrew Luck decided, obviously surprisingly, a couple years ago that he was done with the game as a top, what, five quarterback? As a would-have-been sure thing, locked-in Hall of Famer? And it turns out, I think, I think Super Bowl champion, based on what the Colts are building, what they were missing since Luck stepped away was a QB. And there's some irony in that because obviously all of these teams in the National Football League require a quarterback. Just talk to Channing Crowder. They hope to as the guy in Miami. The Dolphins need a quarterback. But it's not like the Dolphins have a head coach who's an offensive guru, right? Brian Flores, different background. That's what Frank Reich is. This is a guy who was able in Philadelphia as the offensive coordinator to turn Carson Wentz into an MVP candidate, would have been the MVP Wentz that 2016 season, had he not gotten injured for the last four games of the year, five games, four games of the year. And then, Reich, was the guy, the coordinator, who had to transfer everything he wanted done to a guy named Nick Foles. So Frank Reich goes to the Colts, well-respected, missing his quarterback, Hasn't been able to make it work. And what does he do? It, it was a coup, I thought. It's one of the there's ten or eleven really interesting unanswered questions. We're gonna get we're gonna get some insight on this upcoming NFL season. Can't wait. And one of them was, what is Carson Wentz 
when he returns to that offensive coordinator from his Philly days, his glory days in Philly, now that that offensive coordinator, Frank Reich, is the man in, with the Colts, right? We're going to find out, really, I think Bill Belichick minus Tom Brady. He's got a quarterback who's back. He's got a quarterback he drafted. They spent a record amount for that franchise in free agency. A bunch of guys that opted out are back. We're going to get an answer on, on the Patriots. We're going to get an answer, I think, on, on Matthew Stafford and whether or not he is Kirk Cousins, right? Great until he's not, or whether he's something different. We're going to get an answer on Jared Goff. We're going to get a response from Patrick Mahomes on what it is to have your heart broken in the Super Bowl. I think he's going to have a all, all career year in his short career, which is saying something. There's a lot of things out there that are absolutely fascinating. And one of them was going to be, what is Carson Wentz with Frank Reich? Problem is, the answer is, he's what he's always been. He's Humpty Dumpty. He fell off the wall. He's broken. Nobody's putting it back together. And I don't take pleasure in that. I get no joy from, from guys being injured. You know, M. Night Shyamalan is one of the most controversial directors of all time in the sense nobody makes movies this bad and this good. And I've had all these weird debates around green rooms the last, because I've been traveling four weeks, about is M. Night Shyamalan a good director? And apparently, because this new, new, new show out called Old, uh, apparently that's a great movie. And so they've had all of these rankings and on BuzzFeed News and all these other random places, Hollywood Reporter, all the M. Night Shyamalan movies in a row. And every single one has Unbreakable really high, and every single one shows Samuel Jackson as, as Mr. Glass. I would just recommend they replace that with Carson Wentz because that's what he is. He's a real-life Mr. Glass. He can't stay healthy. The foot injury that had sidelined him in this training camp is now the foot injury that is going to sideline him, according to Schefter, for 5 to 12 weeks because he's going to have surgery on it. And when Carson Wentz is going to miss 5 to 12 weeks, in my non-scientific, no medical background history at all, I'm just going to tell you, that's 8 to 15. That's, that's what it is. This is a guy who has had an ACL and LCL injury, 2017. He fractured his back in 2018. Concussion last year, if memory serves, the guy can't stay healthy. And what's what's brutal for Carson Wentz and brutal for, for the Colts is that he is not someone, like say Anthony Davis as a comparison in, in the NBA, who was guaranteed to be great in Indianapolis. This is a two-pronged question for the Colts. Can he stay healthy? And if he's healthy, can he, be, can he be good again? And the answer is already no. Last year, Carson Wentz, the hope of Indianapolis, was 3-8-1. He had 15 touchdown passes to 16 interceptions, and he completed a paltry 57% of his passes. He was bad at playing quarterback in the National Football League. Bad at it. And now, the Colts, who put every one of their eggs in this basket, who thought, and I get where Frank Reich is coming from, that they could unlock the key to Wentz. They could return him to what he used to do. He is clearly a talented guy. They just forgot the golden rule of Carson Wentz, and that is you cannot rely on him to be healthy. I used to say this is a joke, and now I mean it as a fact. If you have a great roster, and you think you have Super Bowl aspirations and you have a real chance to do something special, you have to have Nick Foles as your backup quarterback. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not even kidding. Foles should have done it twice, by the way. 
Was it Alshon Jeffrey where the ball just went through his hands in that game against the Saints? I believe. I'm getting the thumbs up, so I'm, I'm remembering properly. Carson Wentz is broken, and he's not going to get fixed. This isn't a one-off. He's a guy that just can't stay healthy. And so one of the great questions, one of the interesting questions of the National Football League this year has been answered. Can Carson Wentz return to his former glory? No. No. Five to 12 weeks from now, and it's not going to be five, right? A guy that is fragile, a guy that has hurt a lot, a guy that just can't physically sustain and take the punishment of the National Football League is a guy you, you can't rush back. I mean, you literally can't, you are unable to count on Carson Wentz to be healthy when he's healthy. I don't know that you're going to be able to count on him to be healthy now that he's not. So let's call it, let's just say it's 10 weeks. You're talking conservatively six games he's going to miss before he can get back to playing with an organization that's going to have massive expectations because of the roster they put together. And one of two things are going to happen. Jacob Eason, I'm not counting on this, is going to have played so well, they're going to be contenders, and then they're going to question whether they really need Wentz, or more likely, really unfair position to put that dude in. They're not going to win a lot of football games. Wentz is going to come back. He's going to have that question mark of his health whenever he returns, and it could be 12 weeks from now, three months from this moment. Three months from now. And the pressure and the expectation and the frailty he's shown could all add up to the fact that he breaks mentally, not just physically. And that's not a stretch. This guy has had this bizarre career. Because, and Nick Foles, it's not like Nick Foles went off, got his money, and became a superstar. There was just a weird, there was a weird fit for Foles and Wentz in that, in that Eagles organization. But Foles was the guy that won them the Super Bowl. And the Eagles chose Carson. And then he played badly and, and wasn't healthy again and again and again. This season was going to be and is going to be a verdict on his career and what he can be. You don't get second chances that often. I can remember, and you can too, when RG3 was the guy. I mean, there are so many quarterbacks through injury or just the reality of how brutal the National Football League is, how hard it is to be successful. There are so many guys who had these moments and these opportunities to be impact players, to be great, to be difference makers. And in some cases, their bodies broke down on them, and it happens. And in some cases, just the fact they weren't good enough broke them down, and they never recovered. Carson Wentz is both of these things. I hate it. I hate it for Carson Wentz. I hate it for the Colts. You don't want guys to get, to get have their careers be over, be altered because of injury. But this isn't puppies and rainbows and tiddlywinks fantasy land. It's the National Football League. And remember, this is an NFL that cares so much about the health and safety of its players. It is so committed to the well-being of the guys over money. They added a game. Let, yeah, we re, we're really we're going to do another one. Guys are getting bigger, they're getting stronger, they're getting faster, and you got to play more games. This is not an NFL for the light of heart, and it's just not a National Football League for a guy that cannot stay healthy. The Indianapolis Colts need to come up with another solution. I do not have it for them. Figure out who's available. Because this isn't one of those things where it's, I guess we'll just lose some games and we'll draft our quarterback of the future next year. This is the window. This is the opportunity. This is the moment. So if there's a quarterback out there that has 
any kind of chance of being impactful? If there's a quarterback out there that could be available by trade, if I'm the Colts, I'm being hyper-aggressive. You cannot rely on Carson Wentz. You're not going to rely on, on Jacob Eason. He's, he's not going to get it done. You made a mistake. And, and I'll leave it here, and then we'll get on to some, some other sports. Because I don't, I don't like kicking people when they're down. I do like kicking people when they're up and they deserve it. That, that I actually really enjoy. I do. I feel bad for the Colts. But there's also a reality, and we see it all the time in all the sports, especially the NFL, where your arrogance gets in your way. And it's hard for successful people. I live in a, a community of very successful people, and I work in a business of very successful people. And one thing that I've realized is that luck can get you to where you're going. Hard work can get you to where you're going. Certainly being massively talented gets some people to where they're going. And knowing the right people gets a lot of people to, to, to where they're going. And when you're first starting out and trying to make it, working your way up in, in radio and TV, selling insurance, trying to be a football coach, trying to be a GM, Early on, you're so self-aware because you don't have that confidence. You, you don't know if you're going to make it. And, and that means you're taking all the information, and, and I think you avoid mistakes to get where you're going. The more successful people become, the more they start to buy their own hype, the more, the more they start to think everything about how they got here is because they're amazing. And they don't pay attention to the obvious. think they're smarter than the game or smarter than the show or smarter than something else. And it certainly apl applies to Frank Reich. I understand that if you're Frank Reich and you look back and you say, I was there in 16. I was the offensive coordinator. I was the reason Carson was successful. I was the reason Nick was successful. Look what happened when Nick left. It's me. I'm a genius. I'm sure he doesn't say it that way, but like, I, and I'm going to bring in Carson because I'm smarter than the game. And with all respect to, to Doug, who I love, you know, Doug Peterson who's gone now. And, you know, I was the guy and I'm the guy. That, I've, heard, I've heard this, and I probably shouldn't say this because he's my colleague at CBS Sports HQ. I'm sorry, Scott. I've had dinner with Scott Pioli where he told me he was the reason, not Bill Belichick, that the Patriots were successful. I get it. He was the big hot thing with the Kansas City Chiefs, and he bought his own press. It happens to good people like Scott Pioli, who thought he was the reason the Patriots were a dynasty. Which is, by the way, to be fair to Scott, I thought it was Bill Belichick. It turns out it was Tom Brady all along. Who knew? None of us did. And Frank Reich's better at what he does than what Scott Pioli ever did at what he did. It's just my point. Frank Reich thought he was so smart, he was going to reach back to his past, his glorious insights, and bring the Colts greatness. You know what he did? He didn't pay attention to the obvious facts. He didn't follow the lessons that get you where you're going, which is to be paranoid things are going to go wrong. Carson Wentz is Humpty Dumpty. You don't go down while the king and all of his men are trying to put him back together again and be like, hey, once that last eggshell is put together, would you like to come play quarterback for the Colts? You don't do it. He's going to break again. And he has. I feel bad for Carson Wentz. I feel bad for the Colts. This is who Carson Wentz is, and the Colts deserve him because they should have known better. And that's it. Trade pros. Whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job, which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. With over a 1,000 locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and same or next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you. Alana Rizzo, multi-time Emmy Award winner, former Dodgers reporter, now on MLB Network's High Heat, joins me on the program. Alana, what's going on? Hello, how are you? Well, as a Cubs fan, I'm not really sure. 
Uh, I'm confused by Javi and and Rizzo and and uh, Brian hitting home runs for other teams. Although, what a I'll say this: what a great start for those guys. And the Cubs obviously rebuilding. Let's I guess let's start there because that's where my heart is. Do you think the Cubs did the right thing? In, in Kimbrel, I should throw in, into the mix as well, and a total teardown. I am very surprised that out of the cornerstone of the three guys, one of them did not stay. For Jed Hoyer to trade. All of those guys, all four of them, is a bit surprising. However, we just had Jesse Rogers, uh, ESPN, uh, Chicago-based columnist, on High Heat with Chris Russo, and he was saying that after speaking with Jed Hoyer, uh, Hoyer welcomed all of those guys, particularly Baez, Bryant, and Rizzo, to the bargaining table because they had said that they wanted to remain Cubs. He wanted them to remain as a member of the Chicago Cubs for long term. Um, but what they said and what actually happened in terms of the bargaining table didn't necessarily pan out. So he was very surprised by that. He um, said he went to bed every night, putting his head on the pillow, thinking that it was going to be, um, you know, an opportunity to find those guys long term to finish out their careers as Cubs. But what was being said isn't exactly what happened. So, um all four of them are gone. It's unbelievable that Bryant, Rizzo, and uh, Baez hit home runs for their new teams. First time that's ever happened in Major League Baseball history for three, a trio like that to go from one team and all three get traded midseason and hit home runs for their respective clubs. So, you know, I joked, I was wondering if the Nationals and the Cubs still had their logo because I woke up and everybody was gone. It's it is so bizarre. You're right, and obviously two teams that have won World Series in the last five years. Alana Rizzo here on on the Jim Rome Show. So the Yankees get Rizzo, they get Joey Gallo. Are those the right moves? Is that likely to be enough offense? Is what they added to um to do the things they want to do over the next 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 few months. I mean, I have the minority opinion. I still don't think the Yankees make the postseason. I certainly don't think they do it via the route of the division. I don't think the Red Sox or the Tampa Bay Rays are going anywhere. The Yankees do have a very favorable schedule moving forward. But I don't think that Rizzo and Gallo are enough because that's not going to fix your pitching woes. Uh, Garrett Cole hasn't been Garrett Cole his last two outings. It's not going to fix the back end of your bullpen. It's not going to fix... Um, the sloppy defense, it's not going to fix the fact that they can't run the base pass appropriately. Um, Rizzo's going to be great as a New York Yankee. Um, you know, Gallo was hitting 220 on a really bad Texas Rangers team. And I do know that, of course, they needed some strong left-handed bats for that short right porch at Yankee Stadium. Um, but they have a lot of guys that can hit home runs and strike out. And that's what Joey Gallo does. So, um you know, he does have a leg up if he can stay healthy because Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge can't, and they never play. At least they never play together in the same lineup. Um, so I think it's good offensively for them. I don't doubt that they can put up 10 runs a game. I just don't think it, it solves the rest of the woes that the Yankees have. I mean, this is a team that's unbelievably talented, but they have underachieved and underperformed the entire season. Um, Tampa Bay sits at the top of the AL East for the first time, or by themselves in first place after sweeping the Red Sox. And while the Yankees have a very easy upcoming schedule, so do the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, a lot of games with the Orioles, a lot of games with the Twins. You know, Tampa will play Boston again, who they just swept. So I love Rizzo. He's a great player. Um, I just don't think that's going to be enough for you know, the Yankees, they might get in that wild card, 
but um, you know, I just I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I realize I'm the minority, um, but I'm not big on the Yankees this year. Alana, I'll, I'll join you on on that small island. I, I I agree, and if it goes that way, if the Yankees don't make the postseason, or let's say they they make the play in and they and they lose that game. Where does the blame fall between the manager of that team and the general manager of that team? And what consequences, if any, do you think would, would befall either of those guys? Well, you know, I, I love Aaron Boone. Um, I hate to see somebody lose their job over this because Aaron Boone's not the one hitting. He's not the one pitching. He's not the one running the bases. He's not the one, you know, um, making the mistakes. Um you know, I think in a market like New York, there's always going to be a scapegoat. Um, I hope it's not Boone. Uh, but the players have underachieved all season long, and I don't know who that falls on. I'm not privy to the conversations that these guys are having. I'm not in their clubhouse. Um, but this is a team that, for whatever reason, their stars can't stay healthy. Um, this is a team that, you know, Giancarlo Stanton will play, and then he's out for a week for whatever reason. Um you know, guys with very hefty contracts um, that aren't, aren't performing to the level that they're supposed to. And, you know, the Yankees haven't done much since 2009 when they won that World Series. And they're very heavily sabermetric focused and analytically focused, as a lot of teams are. But I understand the history of the franchise, and I keep hearing that over and over and over again. It's the Yankees. We've seen this before. I've been around long enough. You know, people tell me that. This is what New York does, and, you know, Brian Cashman's been there a long time, but they haven't put together a good stretch of baseball the entire season. Now, it's funny because we are ripping on the Yankees and think that the Mets are so good when the Yankees actually have a better record, but the Yankees division is a lot tougher than the NL East in which the Mets have a, you know, are sitting atop of that division. The Braves are not going to do anything. They're not going to fire. The Nationals don't even have a team anymore. Juan Soto's like, what the heck happened? Um <laughs> You know, so the Mets, I think, despite the fact that there's some question marks with Jacob DeGrom and the inflammation in his, um, you know, in his throwing arm, that's a problem. But you get Javi Baez to go with Francisco Lindor, who hasn't played well all year. Um, I don't know who the blame falls on for New York, but I am tired of hearing, well, it's the Yankees. Well, that's fine. They still haven't won anything since 2009. Amen. Alana Rizzo uh, here on the Jim Rome Show. A little bit happier situation on the big city on the other coast. I mean, put put in perspective for us, if, if you can, Alana, not just Max Scherzer to, to the Los Angeles Dodgers, but also Trey Turner. That, that's a that's a pretty big trade. Well, Andrew Friedman, I have a tremendous amount of respect for just because he seems to – he just gets really good players all the time. I understand the pocketbooks. If I hear one more time that L.A. has a lot of money – you still have to get the right pieces and you still have to get guys that are willing to play for each other and together. And what I like about the Trey Turner addition, of course, Max Scherzer speaks for himself. But what I like about Trey Turner is now Corey Seager is back. He's activated off of the IO after dealing with um, broken hand. He obviously is your starting shortstop. He's your World Series MVP. He's your NLCS MVP. Corey is your shortstop. But Corey is going to be a free agent at the end of the season, and he's a Boris player. So if Corey wants to sign for $500 billion and the Dodgers aren't willing to give him $500 billion, then Corey tests the free agent waters and Trey Turner becomes your shortstop. So I, I like the versatility. I like the impact move that that has for future years because I believe Trey is under control for next year as well. Um, and, of course, Max Scherzer, uh, duh, right? <laughs> So 
Cy Young Award winner, usually leads the league in strikeouts every single year. You have, they're off today, the Dodgers are. They have a short two-game set with the Houston Astros beginning tomorrow. You have Walker Bueller, who was the um, pitcher of the month for the month of July, going tomorrow against the Astros. Then you have Max Scherzer making his Dodgers stadium debut on Wednesday. Then you have another day off on Thursday, and then you start a series with the Angels on Friday. So you have in that dugout right now, you have Clayton Kershaw, who's coming back, Walker Bueller, Max Scherzer, and oh, by the way, you still have Julio Urias, who nobody seems to be talking about, and I want to say he either leads the National League in wins or he's at the top of the list in the National League in wins, and then you figure out your fifth spot. That's a really, really scary team. And on top of that, you have, obviously, the depth of the position players that that continue uh, for the Los Angeles Dodgers. They still have the question marks in the back end of the bullpen, um, but, you know, somehow they'll, they'll piece that together. And, they, you know, they just got Danny Duffy, too. So that's a, that's, a good, that's a good haul for Andrew Friedman that not only um, – that that not only you know can pay dividends for this year. We don't know where Max is going to go next year. We don't know what Clayton's decision is going to be after this year. Um, you know, and by the way, they're doing all of this with Cody Bellinger, who's hitting like a buck twenty or something. I mean, he's not playing well. Whatever it is, um, he's not playing well. So you have a former MVP that's really scuffling. You have Mookie Betts, who hasn't necessarily really gotten it going. I mean, if you start, if these guys start playing to the potential that they can, the last. 50-odd games of the season, it's going to be pretty tough to beat the Dodgers. And that's no disrespect to what the Giants are doing because they've pretty much led the division the entire season. And I love the Chris Bryant acquisition for the Giants. All right, Alana Rizzo, last question for you. Uh, The Padres are still in that division. Obviously, they're the third team in it right now. When you look at at that NL West, how many of those teams do you think are are actually, if things break the right way, if they want to play in series, whatever it is, are good enough to make a run in October to a World Series? All three of them? Well, I've maintained this all year long, and I said this certainly before the season started, especially with the offseason that the Padres had. I still don't think it's a it's a Dodgers-Padres rivalry. And everybody wanted you know to hang me out to dry when I said that because they said I'm a Dodger homer, this, that, and the other. Well, the Padres have really, really scuffled. And they don't have uh, – if they get in, obviously, it's going to be via the wild card. And I don't think they have enough – uh, you know, you have Blake Snell not pitching up to his capabilities. You have Joe Musgrove, who hasn't been the same since he threw the first ever no-hitter in San Diego Padres history. And Darvish has been very up and down. Um, you know, they wanted Matt Scherzer, um, didn't get Matt Scherzer. I mean, I give him credit for going after him. But the biggest thing with the, with the Padres right now is, you know, MVP candidate Fernando Tatis Jr., he's hurt. And he's on that 10-day IL with that shoulder issue. And Jace Tingler, Padres manager, did say that surgery is a possibility. If I'm a Padres fan, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, because Eric Hosmer and Jake Cronenworth and, you know, Manny Machado can't, can't do it all. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see if, if they do make some sort of run here at the end. I don't see them World Series bound. Um, the Giants uh, have continued to shut everybody up except for themselves. I don't think anybody thought the Giants were going to be where they're at. Um, I still maintain the World Series road goes through L.A. Um, and until somebody can knock them off of their pedestal of winning eight straight NL West titles and the most recent World Series, until someone can knock them off of that, I'm, I'm going to maintain that. Um, you know, in the National League, who's, who's going to 
who's going to beat the Dodgers if everybody starts playing the way that they're supposed to play? Nothing. I mean, if you look at the roster, 26 men side by side with the Giants, I'm still taking the Dodgers. Yeah, not the, I'm Cub- not taking the, not Padres. the Cubs or the Nationals, Alana Rizzo. Since maybe they could combine their remaining teams and just play as the Cubs Nationals <laughs> for the rest of the year. Watch, yeah, yeah it might help. Watch Alana Rizzo on a high heat on MLB Network. Alana, as always, appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks for thanks for being on the Jim Rome Show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Take good care. Bye-bye. Thanks, Alana. You too. <laughs> He's a great guy. And I believe someday, I guess it wouldn't be mayor, he'll be the, he'll tell us, the alderman of Brooklyn. He literally is the dean of Brooklyn, New York. Everyone else is just is just pretending. He's a power broker. Howard Brooklyn Beck on the show. Hello, Mr. Beck. <laughs> Mr. Ryder, how are you, sir? I'm uh, glad. As always, I'm good. Way, way too kind, way too generous of an introduction. Thank you. You're welcome. It's all true at Sports Illustrated. If you want to read Mr. Beck's work on Twitter at Howard Beck, which is easy to find, easy to remember. I hope you're having a good summer, buddy. So free agency get, gets going here in, in a little bit. Are, are we just at the point now where the NBA doesn't care if there is collusion, conversations, recruiting by players? That's That's just the new normal? Well, I mean, it's been the normal for a long time on various levels. Um, there's always been the player-to-player stuff. The, the part that rankles the NBA at the league office, or it certainly rankles a lot of small market teams especially, which then eventually leads to, to the league office trying to rein it in, is, is the just blatant tampering. But this is a tampering league. That's an actual quote from a GM, um, multiple GMs over the years, who have said, hey, it's a tampering league. Uh, it's just kind of the way business is done. Free agency technically starts at 6 o'clock Eastern time today, but the discussions with free agents have been going on through various channels for weeks already. You know, you put out feelers, you talk to agents, you talk to an agent under the guise of something that is legal, and while you're in that conversation, you throw in a few illegal things. Like, oh, by the way, what do you, you know, your other client, what's he looking for this summer? So, like, by the time we actually get to free agency opening, you know where things are heading. And that's why you've got all these reports over the last few days of things that look like a done deal or, you know, if, if somebody's being reported as looking like the leader of the pack for free agent A, <laughs> it really probably means that they already have a deal in place, but because the NBA has tried to crack down on tampering, tried in quote marks, over the last couple of years, they're trying to shroud it a little bit more. So you're leaking deals without saying it's a deal and you're getting media outlets to say to put it in a little bit less definitive language so that nobody can after the fact say well how did this happen and if you just say well they're the leader as opposed to saying there's a deal in place then it gives everybody an opening or an out howard back here on the jim rome show okay so one of the leaders in the clubhouse is um kyle lowry to the miami heat certainly not done certainly not you know pre pre-arranged by, by him and his buddy jimmy butler if howard beck mr lowry goes to the heat where does that place them in the Eastern Conference for you in terms of competitiveness? Obviously, a lot of other deals yet to be done, right? We need to see how the Nets replenish their roster around their big three. We need to see what the Bucks do to bolster their defending championship core. Um, what do the Sixers get back for Ben Simmons? Um, that's the real conversation, you know, for the rest of the, of the conference. And, you know, you could throw a couple other teams in there that are knocking on the door. You know, the, the Hawks certainly made a, a nice run of the conference finals unexpectedly and should not be dismissed as a potential, you know, repeat contender in, in that regard. I think the Heat 
a lot of things just w- did not go their way this year. For all this, the talk of like, hey, they got all these breaks, or maybe they were perfectly calibrated for the bubble, and that's how they got to the finals a year ago. And this year, everything went the other way, right? Um, some guys looked at their age. Some guys broke down. Jimmy Butler had COVID, and you know, a lot of things just did not break right for them. Um, they still have, I think, a really strong core there, and if they, you know, are able to retain Duncan Robinson, and and they've got. You know, obviously Jimmy Butler, Adebayo, Tyler Hero. There's a really good core there. And Kyle Lowry is a perfect Heat player. So where does that place them? I mean, Kyle is up there in years, but still a very effective player. I I think he makes them that much tougher of a tough, already tough defensive team. Gives them another another shot maker, upgrades them at point guard, um, and, and gives them, you know, somebody else who can kind of keep things going when Jimmy Butler's off the court, uh, taking a rest. I think they're back in the mix. I mean, I had them in the mix this past season anyway, and they, they fell far short of that, but I thought they should have been a contender. I, I think they'll be right back into the conversation if they get Kyle Lowry. Howard Beck, as, as Daryl Morey peruses the market for Ben Simmons, and as, you know, if and when we get a deal, if you're Simmons, right, you're, you're, you're Simmons' agent, is there a team or a couple teams where you think, just for him, it's the right fit, it's the right place for, I think, a very talented guy, but obviously one who has come under a lot of criticism for some struggles in the postseason and the inability to, to you, you know, shoot the basketball, which is sort of important in the NBA. Is there a spot that makes sense for him? There's a lot of different ways to look at that. Like, he's, he's a guy who's been a multiple-time All-Star and he's been All-NBA. So on one level, you'd say, well, he's just entering his prime and he's got several years on his deal, so he's gonna, he should be somewhere that's a team that's already pretty respectable or contending. But with contention comes scrutiny, and the scrutiny is part of what's hurt him because he doesn't shoot, doesn't want to shoot. Um, and, you know, now that's why, among the reasons why the Sixers have to move on, because, like, you can't even imagine him being back in Philly and, and what the, the reception would be like. I think he needs to go somewhere that's not just another good quality franchise. I think it's best for him to probably go somewhere where there's maybe not quite as much scrutiny. Maybe a smaller market would be better for him right now. Maybe somewhere, obviously, with a. Uh, really great development staff that can work out the kinks, both mental and physical to do with his jump shot. If he's going to take the next step in his career, if he's truly going to be an MVP caliber player, which he's got the potential to be, he's got to get that part of his game in order. It is important as a primary ball handler, but then another way to look at this would be, well, maybe he should just go somewhere where he's not the primary ball handler. Maybe he should be somewhere where they've got a strong point guard already and he's a secondary, not full-time point. He can still guard point guards. He can guard all five positions. That's one of the, the you know one of the things that makes him great. But maybe he shouldn't be the guy with the ball in his hands all the time if he's not going to shoot because that that really can can stunt your offense in this league. So where does that land him? I don't know. I don't think it's going to be about where's best for Ben Simmons. It's going to be ultimately about where can the Sixers and Daryl Morey get the best return package. That's he's going to end up with with whoever gives the best basket of stuff back to the Sixers. That descript- Those two descriptions, Howard Beck, that you gave here on the Jim Rome Show, the first sort of sounds like the Toronto Raptors could be, and the second certainly sounds like the Golden State Warriors would, would be an interesting fit for him. Yeah, I mean, that, th- those are teams I had in mind, certainly for those, those scenarios, right? Like the Raptors, even though it's a huge market, it's and, and within that market, certainly, like Toronto media can be, you know, just as, as aggressive as New York or Philly, but it would give him a chance with a team that has done a great job of developing players to maybe get his game in order. And with, even if Lowry's leaving, maybe Dragic is there 
um, in that deal. Maybe it's just you know Fred VanVleet running things, but he, it wouldn't require Ben Simmons to be full time uh, with the ball in his hands, and maybe give him a chance to to you know you know work on the jump shot. So they're and they're a great team in terms of player development. You know San Antonio obviously is a great team in terms of player development. Miami is a great team in terms of player development. I mean, not all these teams are going to be in the running. I'm just saying there there are a bunch of teams that I think could help him out in that regard. I don't see him going ending up with the Warriors, but yes, any team like the Warriors, um, you know, if, if, if we, if there was a, uh, you know, the CJ McCollum and more stuff for Ben Simmons scenario, that's been talked about Ben Simmons with Dame Lillard could work because again, Lillard's the primary ball handler in that scenario. And when Simmons does have the ball in his hands, you've got one of the great shooters in the NBA there playing off the ball. Howard, I, I recognize the question I'm about to ask you is the equivalent of asking someone in, I don't know, literary circles what J.D. Salinger was thinking when he was around, but I'm going to ask anyway. What do you think becomes of, of Kawhi Leonard and his decision-making over the next week or so? Nobody knows when it comes to Kawhi, but all rumblings are, are you know indicating he's going to stay with the Clippers. I've never expected anything different. He could surprise us. He has surprised us all before, but he, he he went to such great lengths to get to L.A. Remember, when he got traded to Toronto, that's not where he wanted to be. He wanted to be in L.A. with one of the L.A. teams. And it wasn't in his hands at that point because was, it was a trade. He won a championship in Toronto, and as soon as he could leave, he did. Not because of, of anything to do with Toronto, but he wanted to be in L.A. He's from Southern California. Having done all that to get there, I don't see why he would turn around and leave. There's failures, if you could call it that, there in his two years there. Um you know, it's been the two most unusual years in NBA history. And in this case, it also had him with an ACL injury that the Clippers never disclosed until it was after the season, long after the season. Um, and so if they failed this, this, off, this, this postseason, it wasn't because they didn't have the right personnel. It's because Kawhi himself was hurt. So you're going to hold that against the franchise? I mean, it doesn't really make sense. Um, they can pay him the most. They can pay him for the longest period of time because that's the way it goes in the NBA. I expect he stays. Uh, Howard, in the weeds a little bit here with Atlanta, but you mentioned them as a team not to overlook. John Collins is a restricted free agent. They weren't able to, to come to an agreement before this point. How important do you think it is for, for the Hawks to find whatever the number is? I think I saw $120 million reported as, as what might get it done and, and make sure he's back in the mix because they, they did make that run with DeAndre Hunter mostly injured. Yeah, I mean, they've got one of the best young cores in the NBA, and they added some really nice veterans on top of it last offseason. Some of those guys were hurt all year, and Chris Dunn was one of those, and he, you know they shipped him out, and it took a while for, for Gallinari to get healthy. But they've got a really nice mix, and John Collins is, is a really talented young player. They couldn't come to agreement on an extension last year. Um, and I think if they had been a first-round-and-out team, maybe you'd say, ah, you know what, maybe we, maybe we still don't want to overextend and pay him because we've got all these other young players coming up. Trey Young's got to be extended. Kevin Herter's going to have to be extended. Like, you have to set a limit somewhere because in the NBA, the luxury tax penalty has become very onerous very quickly. But having just made this unexpected run to the conference finals with this great young team that's still just getting better, and John Collins was such a critical part of that, I don't see how you let him walk. I think you go all out to keep him. You, you deal with the finances later. You figure out all, all, all of that stuff at when, you, you know, when you have to. But in the meantime, don't let a tremendous asset, a, a tremendous young talent walk away. Howard, back here on the Jim Rome Show. Howard, the last year, and all the weirdness for the whole country, has had people 
reevaluating huge parts of their lives. So I don't know if you've gotten to the point where you love hot takes now because you used to hate them, but there's been there's been change afoot. I, I don't know. I, I want you to be able to lean into this hot take thing if you want. And I I I, I preface I, I say all that to, to ask you this: Russell Westbrook plus the Los Angeles Lakers is going to equal what? Um, less than the. Uh, pyrotechnics of that deal would suggest <laughs> you can go hot take that's such a great t- i agree you can say it in a mean way if you want to i'm not trying to bait you i'm just saying you can really no, go I aggressive mean, listen, you want. there did they, did they need high level playmaking like did they need somebody else who could do something with the ball in his hands score or set up other guys when lebron is off the court or in the case of the worst case scenarios where lebron is out for you know six weeks or whatever like yeah, like Russell Westbrook fills a need, but he fills a need at, at a, a tremendous cost in terms of depth, tremendous cost in terms of salary, a tremendous cost in terms of flexibility, a tremendous cost in terms of potentially stifling their offense when those guys are out there together because he can't space the floor because he can't shoot. He's the worst shooter among high-volume scorers in the league and has been for years, and he's at an age where that's only going to get worse. So his production and his efficiency is only going to, to decline. I hate the deal. I really do. Um, it, there's a scenario in which it works out, right? There's a scenario in which LeBron staying fresher, LeBron having less burden on his shoulders. Um, maybe Rob Palenka finds a bunch of shooters out there to take the minimum to fill out this roster, and maybe they're fine, and maybe they're at least as good as they were this past season, but they weren't good enough to you know, get out of the first round this season. Um, and injuries had a lot to do with that. With a healthy LeBron and a healthy Anthony Davis – and, and and the wild card that is Russell Westbrook, they will be a potent force in the West. Do I think they can win uh, win it all with Westbrook clogging up everything with his inability to shoot and being a high turnover guy and being a, a, a low defensive guy? I I don't know. I'm 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 highly skeptical, but I'm open to the possibility that if they find a way to fill out the roster well, that they could make another run. I'm just telling you right now, Howard, if we were on my show in the mornings, I would have dropped seven what the Becks, just like right <laughs> following that very accurate, correct. I have no doubt. And measured response. Um, Howard Beck, my friend, the insight is great. Love the conversation. Appreciate you being on the show, buddy. Have a great rest of your summer and good luck the next few weeks working. Thanks, Bill. Take care, man. <laughs> you do, dude. Howard Beck on the show. Howard is the most even-keeled, fair I love having Howard on because we often think the exact same thing and say it in, in vastly, vastly different ways. Because my, my version of that is that um, that Russell Westbrook move is the height of idiocy and allows LeBron James to win the press conference and not to think long term. And by the way, I said last week on CBS Sports HQ because I had heard that DeMar DeRozan might take less money to be a Laker. Now, he made $27 million with the Spurs this past year, and I think what the Lakers could offer him is 5.9 is what it is. And there's a report that just came out in the last hour from, I think, The Athletic, saying that, that DeRozan's serious about the Lakers, which, on again, on paper is great. He also clogs the floor. He's also not a shooter. I, I, you take, I mean, I get you take DeMar DeRozan, 100%. I'm just not sure that it makes sense. Good night now!